Uh, let's go to the Word of God, okay? So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. Once again, we are postponing our start of the Romans series by another week because uh, of a timely issue to address, which is our meeting together in discipleship groups. Discipleship groups are going to start up again. We had a five-week break or so, and uh, we delayed that a week, and actually we're going to delay it for another week. Uh, We'll talk about that in our meeting today. But since they've been um, dispersed for a little while, um, we want to re-envision each other for what those are about. Why, why do we think it's important for the church to get together, whether that's on Zoom right now or whether that's in person, but why is it important that we are sort of face-to-face with other believers on a regular basis? And, and this meeting is definitely part of that, but obviously in this meeting we don't have a lot of two-way communication, do we? There's a setting that God has set up for us to have two-way communication and actually do life together. And so we're going to look at what that is and get new vision for why we meet in discipleship groups. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 to 27 because they deal with that. That's one of the go-to texts for meeting together. So let's read Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 27, and then we'll ask for the Spirit to open it to us. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let's pray. I do thank you, Lord, that by whatever means, I mean, you've made it possible for us to even, through technology, meet when we can't meet in person Uh, But I thank you that we're able to do this together. And you have so much for us in our meeting together, so much that you want to accomplish, so much grace you want to impart, and you want us to experience. So we need your help again to see that, to be re-envisioned for your good plan for our lives and the means by which you help us persevere. So, Lord, open up this scripture to us today. Encourage your saints. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the letter to the Hebrews is, by its own description, a word of exhortation. In chapter 13, verse 22, he calls it that. It's two people who profess to be Christians, and 
the exhortation means that there's something urgent that he wants to communicate, that he wants to pass on to the readers, to us this morning. And you can tell what his urgency is, what his issues are that he wants to communicate. When you read through the letter, he is speaking to a group of people, professing believers, who are at risk of leaving the faith. From the letter, we pick up that they are undergoing various forms of persecution. He said, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but you have resisted. There has been opposition. Your life isn't completely great in terms of uh, just freedom to do whatever you want. There's opposition. So they're undergoing persecution. They have their other life hardships as well. And so he knows this is hard for them, and he wants to strengthen their commitment to Christ in this world of tribulation. And that's what makes the letter timeless and relevant for us today, because we know that it's difficult to be a faithful Christian in our days. We have our share of life hardships, do we not, that, that challenge our faith, test us. Do we really believe in this good and sovereign God that we talked about last week, there, there are these tests like Dan's cancer. You know, what do we, how do we press through that? Um, so that's going on. But also, our faith is seen by many uh, in our culture as hateful and to be opposed, at least the faith that's true to the Scriptures. And so the writer, writed, writing to them and now also to us, is, is trying to strengthen us as the, as the social cost of being a faithful believer keeps rising. And so he's going to exhort us this morning to remain steadfast to Christ. And what we'll focus on from the text is this aspect of it, that it requires meeting together with the church. If we want to be steadfast in this world, if we want to cling to Christ, if we want to live out the Christian life, we're going to need other people to help us do that. We're going to need to meet together. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So that's face-to-face, that's interaction, that's stirring each other up to walk uh, in a Christian love. And so that's what verses 25 and or 24 and 25 talk about, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But we need to place those two verses in context of all the ones that we just read to understand what the author has in mind for these meetings. So let's look at the context first. How do you motivate a person to hold on to Christ when it's hard to do? Well, you begin with the riches of God's grace to us. We always have to start there with the riches of God's grace to us in Christ. He starts in 19 and 20, where he says, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have a great priest over the house of God. So let's start out with what we have. Before we talk about doing anything, let's talk about what we have, what's real, what, what, regardless of what you're doing. We have these things. We have this confidence to enter holy places. We have a great priest. This is language of welcome and access to God 
through Jesus Christ. That's what we have, (laughs) believers. We all have this. We all have this equally. Before Jesus came, the separation between God and man because of our sins was put on display by the tabernacle or the temple of Israel. That was the place on earth where God chose to make his presence known. And especially in the most holy place, the inner sanctum of the temple, hidden behind a thick curtain. But nobody could go into the temple except the priest, and nobody could go into the holy place, the most holy place behind the curtain, except the high priest, and he could only go in once a year and not without the blood of a sacrifice for sins. So one thing the temple would always remind God's people is that you cannot just approach a holy God. You have to come with a sacrifice. You have to be made holy. And so obviously, if only one person gets to go in once a year, a very select person, you know we're not holy. There's a separation between us and our God, and there's got to be access, but it's so limited. And it was until Jesus came. And then he came to be the sacrifice that brings us back to God. He's the one who removes the offense of our sin between us and a holy God by taking our sins on himself, taking the blame, taking the guilt, and then being punished for what that sin deserves. And then through faith, we receive his perfect righteousness. We are purified. We are cleansed from sin. And now we can enter. Now we can go into that most holy place through the blood of Jesus, through the new and living way, it says, that he opened for us through the curtain. Now, not just one guy once a year, but all of God's people all the time can enter in freely into the presence of this holy God because he has made you holy in his sight. He has removed the offense of your sin, and so you can just go in. You just have that access all the time. That's the language behind verses 19 to 20. That, that's the picture of what he means there. Jesus, by a single offering, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's Hebrews 10, 14. And so we have this access, this, this grace of God, and we start there. We have to start there with what we already have, not what we have to achieve, right? Jesus opened the way. He has cleansed us from an evil conscience. That means there's no guilt now to be dealt with. Um, You know that you're guilty (laughs) of many things, and God knows you're guilty of many things, but God also knows that he's taking care of your guilt. So he's not going to be surprised by anything you did yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He's just like, he's already dealt with all of that. (laughs) So come on in. Come on in. It's all taken care of. Come on in. That, that's our God's attitude toward us. And so we need to start with that, what we have, because you might have woken up this morning or you might wake up tomorrow morning with a, a dash on your conscience, which is what John Bunyan would have called it, um, where you just have this vague sense that things are not right. 
between you and God. You know, you're just aware of that thing you said yesterday that you shouldn't have, that, that thing you did, the, all the ways you're failing as a parent, failing as a husband, failing as a whatever, and, and you just have this feeling like, I, I don't have access right now. I need to do something to get into God's favor. And so we have to start with saying, no, you already have it. Yeah, and, and you're going to have it tomorrow, too. No matter what happens, you're going to have it, okay? Because God has made the way. Jesus has made the way. The door is open. My son opened it for you, and it stays open. You have my favor. We just have to start there. Because otherwise, these exhortations that follow, and there's three of them, can become a way where we think we're trying to gain access, where we're trying to get back into God's favor, and that will not work. <laughs> Let's remind ourselves first, God's favor is there because of what Jesus did. That's what he purchased for us. But we do go to exhortations. There is something to do with this access, something to do with what we have already. So let's talk about the three exhortations that follow. Three things to do now that you have this full and favorable access to God through Christ. It's like you've been given a million dollars. So what are you going to do with it? <laughs> right? I mean, you don't just say, oh, yeah, there it is, and then just kind of go on your way as if it didn't make any difference at all. It's like, no, no, there, there's something to do with all this riches of grace that we have through God. So what do we do with it? Well, he says three things, and I'm just going to mention the first two briefly and spend most of our time on the third one. Verse 22 is the first one. Here's what you do. If you have this access, draw near to God. Draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You draw near. You go through the open door. You get to know your God. You talk to Him in prayer. You listen to Him through His Word and through His Spirit. You, you receive from Him. There's relationship now. His ear is open to your cry. He has compassion on you. He's the God of comfort. He's the God of provision. He's the God of insight and understanding. And so when we draw near, we, we put ourselves in the realm of this depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. We immerse ourselves into this life that's in the Trinity that we've been brought up into. And so we, we are filled up, we are, we are encouraged, we are helped. That's the first thing, draw near. Second one, verse 23, what do you do because you have this access? Well, you hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That means you hang on to the promises of God to you in Christ. You, you press in to keep believing what He has called you to. That you keep believing that He has said, I am your Savior and I will save you. <laughs> that I will get you through this world and all of its trials and I will bring you into a world of eternal happiness. That's guaranteed. These are promises. He who promised is faithful. So we press in, we say, okay, I'm going to hold on to that. <clears throat> these, these unseen realities, I'm going to grab onto that thing and I'm going to act like that's true. That's number two. And then number three, 
is you consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Now what that means is you don't do the first two things alone. You do them with other believers. You meet with the church for mutual encouragement to keep drawing you near to God and to keep on holding fast your confession and to live it out. That's what you need. Not just the first two, but you need the third one. You need to do it with other people. This exhortation, I think, is the one that's going to challenge us the most in our present circumstances. Because you see, you know, we live in a culture that prizes independence and forging your own way through life, not needing other people. And now you add social distancing to the equation. That reinforces our temptation to disengage with other people. And so this mindset can develop where we get used to seeing the world through a digital screen and doing our own thing the rest of the time and only engaging with others when we want to click on that link. And the first two exhortations seem to fit very nicely into that equation, right? Because you can draw near to God in your devotions all by yourself, right? We know we can do that. Holding fast your confession seems to be about what you do. So it's still about me. It's still me and God. But there's no way that you can do the third one alone. You can't one another without another. And you can't meet together with yourself. You need other people in your life. In fact, as we'll see, meeting with other people is how you persevere in drawing near and holding fast your confession. God's grace doesn't teach us to do those things in isolation. Meeting together with the church is part of the rhythm of life. It's, it's you and your access to God with these other people and their access to God. We all have this access together. We're all on this same journey through the open door all the time. So let's do that together. Let's help one another to, to see our God and know our God and be encouraged. And he means to do that with the church. Because the meeting that's described in the original language is related to the word synagogue which implies a formal gathering of God's people, an intentional gathering around His Word. What you do with your access to God through Christ is that you synagogue together with these other believers facing our God and receiving from our God. So let's look closely now at this third exhortation to meet together because this is what we want our discipleship groups to be about. This is our template, if you will, for what we hope to accomplish when we get in a Zoom room <laughs> now because of the way the world works or in person. But what are, we, what are we trying to do when we get face to face? What are these things supposed to be about? We can learn from this text. So let's, let's, let's see what it teaches about meeting together. 
the first thing to notice is the purpose. The purpose is to stir up one another to love and good works. That means we don't just meet to talk and then go home unchanged or unchallenged. It means it isn't like a book, a book club where you might just have read a book and you come to, in, to discuss it about what you like and what you don't like because that's intellectually satisfying and enjoyable. No, this fellowship has the goal of motivating us to do something, namely to love people and do good works. That's the outcome that we hope for. It means we're after application about what we know about God and about our world. Application of what we've learned, turning it into actions. We're helping each other take the next step in Christian obedience. So let me give an example of what this can look like in our discipleship groups. We will be studying the book of Esther this fall. And so I hope you've grabbed one of those little, I don't know what color that is, is that Maroon? Anyway, the study guides on Esther and Ruth. We'll do Esther this fall. Um, And so you have this study guide, and it has a little bit of commentary, and it has a whole bunch of questions. And so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to read the the Bible text, you'll read the commentary, and then we get going on all the questions, right? And that'll take maybe an hour, and then usually after that we have time, we we pray together, uh, and then we we close, right? So that's what you're, you're used to. Now, you could come into that meeting with one of two mindsets. Um, I'll call the first mindset the, I just want to get through this mindset. <laughs> Meaning, I will listen, I will say something if called on. If we get on a topic that I'm passionate about, I will give my opinion. But... I'm just going to show up and do what's required. I'll give a prayer request because it's expected of me, but then after this meeting is over, I'm going to go back to the things that I really want to do, things that I really think are important in life. In other words, there's no real expectation that this meeting is going to change me or anyone else. I'm just doing it because it's on the calendar. Maybe you can relate to that. I've been there. We can have low expectations about what these meetings can actually accomplish, but I don't think I'm out of place in suggesting that maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we come to the meeting with the I just want to get through this mindset, then that's probably all that will happen. You will just get through it, and you will be unchanged. But the scriptures would have us come with a different mindset, which is the, I'll call this the let's stir each other up to love and good works mindset. And that means I'm coming to this meeting to hear from God through his word and through his people, and I'm coming with the intention to apply what I hear. And that's not dependent on how good the group is right? God's word is good, and God's word tells us a whole bunch of things. If I come with the, with the desire to apply it, then I can grow, right? And most likely, I'm going to grow a lot more with these other people. You come with the intention to apply 
to look for ways that it relates to your life, to see what kind of hard attitudes it exposes, what kind of life situations it's dealing with. If you're coming into the, to the meeting with, with a, if, with a dis- difficulty with your coworker, you don't know how to work that out, you're having difficulty with parenting, you're fearful about something, I'm going to come to this meeting with the desire to sort of put that out there and see what kind of what, uh, help I can get, what kind of encouragement I can get from the group here. Because, because I want to be changed by this meeting. I want to be equipped by this meeting to go out there and do love and good works in my sphere. Now, obviously, that requires some level of trust from the group. We want to build that. Um, There are some things that aren't really right to talk about in a group, some things of sensitive nature, but we're there to help each other live out the Christian life in love and good works. And the mere fact that this exhortation is in the Bible is evidence that we don't naturally do this alone. We need the stimulus of other people to actually get out into the world and live intentionally for Jesus. We need that. We need other people to, come on, let's do this. (laughs) We need that. We aren't necessarily going to do it by ourselves. So our meetings are about stirring up one another to live the Christian life. Now, how do we stir up each other? What does it actually look like when it's happening? Well, verse 25 calls it encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word for encouraging has this sense of urgency, of pleading, of entreating. And that can mean either correction, like, hey, come on, I've got something to sort of point out to you. It can be that. Um, but most English translations, and they take it in the sense of encouragement. They translate it that way which means to impart courage, (laughs) uh, to shore up. Uh, That seems to fit the context of Christians who are struggling to hold fast their hope without wavering in the midst of opposition and hardship. And so we need courage to do that. We need to be imparted courage by your encouragement when we get together. And the kind of encouragement that we need comes from the Scriptures, Because the writer says, do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, encouragement in the context of the salvation story, where Jesus' return is the climax. There's this day of judgment that is coming for the unbeliever, for those outside of Christ. So let's love people and do good works for them so that they can meet Jesus and be saved from that day. So these groups are about cultivating a heart for non-saved people and being involved in love and good works for them because this day is coming. We don't want that to be a day of judgment for them. But this day that's coming is also this day of reward and of fulfillment and of all of our hopes and dreams uh, realized in Jesus Christ. So, So let's love and do good works for one another so we don't lose heart as we wait for that day so that we can experience a little taste today of what that day will be like. Let's help it be real for each other. 
this grace of God that he's given to his people, let's, let's let that flow toward one another so that we can say, yes, God is, God is real. I see it happening right in front of me. These rewards are coming. That, that's what these meetings are about. That's all based on the, the salvation story. It's not just a pep talk. So let's hold fast our confession and draw near to God. And let's encourage each other with biblical insight and loving actions in light of the salvation story that's playing out. Now here's what this does to the meeting environment. It means the accent of our meetings should be encouragement. We want to leave the meetings encouraged. That doesn't mean we won't ever be corrected because we need that too. But the most effective correction comes in the context of much encouragement. You don't stir up one another to love and good works. You don't impart courage to hold fast the confession of your hope if you drain someone's hope in your meetings. It won't have that result that we're looking for, that God wants. I know a surefire way to drain somebody's hope and shut down love and good works. It's when somebody comes into the group with a struggle. And maybe it's a sin issue that they're, they're struggling with. Um, maybe it's a challenging situation in their life. They just feel totally overwhelmed by this thing, don't know how to address it. And what they get is a boatload of advice on how to do better. With examples of how you've conquered that in your own life. I think you can already feel how that's not encouraging. We probably mean well, we want to help them, but where's the accent in that discussion? It's on their performance. If you would just know what I know, you'd be all right. If you would just do these five things that I know would work, you'll be better. Where's Jesus in any of that? <laughs> where's the access? <laughs> no, we have to start with access is here. We start with what we have. You don't need to solve this thing in order to be in God's favor because Jesus bought that for you. And you know what? That's true for everybody in this group. <laughs> we are all the unrighteous who have been brought to God through Jesus. And so we have to start on the same plane. There can't be any self-righteous. Oh, I can't believe you're dealing with that. You know that attitude? You can, just go, you can pick that up in a heartbeat. And what happens when you've, when you've been vulnerable and you finally said something like, this is real, this is genuine, this isn't superficial stuff, here's my heart, and then what comes down on you is, boom, all these things you should do, that will stop love and good works in its tracks. <laughs> so we want our, our groups to be this environment of encouragement. Hey, brother, hey, sister, God loves you. He's for you. Jesus made the way open to all of his blessing. And so, yeah, let's work through this thing, okay? Yeah, there, there is blessing and obedience. There's right things and wrong things to do. Let's talk about those things. But let's do it in the, in the environment of acceptance by God through Jesus. That's what our meetings want to feel like. That will stir us up to love and good works. One more thing to see here about meeting together before we close. 
And it's the reminder that not meeting is habit-forming. Not meeting is habit-forming. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. A habit is a practice that once developed is hard to give up. And we can develop this habit of not meeting together, which is hard to break. It's not hard to see how this becomes a habit. Let's face it, meeting with the church requires work. It requires a disruption to your schedule. And usually we can find ten reasons why tonight is not a good night. Or this Sunday afternoon is not a good day for me. You might have the, the I just want to get through this mindset. And you go, you know, those meetings don't really do anything for me. So I just I don't see why I should go. There's, there's a common one. Uh, or you're tired. Who's not tired? <laughs> if you live in this world... <laughs> You're going to be tired. <laughs> but that could be a reason. You know, I just, don't, I just don't feel like I could do that today. I have a lot of work to do. Okay, again. Yeah, who doesn't? Um, the kids are a handful. Yes. <laughs> and God gave you those children, and he wants you in church. There must be a way to work it out, Right? But we talk to ourselves, no, no, that today's just not a good day. Maybe next week. Or, you know, it's the night you were going to be gaming with your friends or whatever your, your hobby was. I mean, we have all these ways of talking ourselves out of participating, even if it's on Zoom where you don't have to go anywhere. And that's why we need these kinds of reminders in the Scriptures, because God knows that about us. He says, don't neglect it. You will be tempted. You'll think the best way for me to get through life is to do this other thing, but not meet with the church. And he says, no, that's actually opposite of how you're going to get through life. Holding fast your confession. You actually need those people more than you think. It isn't good for our souls to be alone. We lose the stimulation and the motivation to live the Christian life. We lose this vital source of grace to stir us up to love and good deeds. And there's a danger that comes by neglecting these things. Which is why we read verses 26 and 27 at the end. Because they're connected. The danger is if you abandon drawing near to God holding fast your confession, and meeting together, you could end up abandoning Christ. That's the danger. That's what the warning is in 26 and 27. He says, after all these exhortations, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. In other words, professing Christians who abandon these exhortations, including meeting together, they're in danger of abandoning Christ because there's the possibility there that you don't know him, that you're not a Christian. Because these are things that Christians do. If that sounds unthinkable, like that could never be true of you, 
I assure you it is thinkable. Because I became a believer 40 years ago in college with a bunch of other college students. And we did Bible studies together. We went to meetings together of like, you know, we had like our own version of church on campus. Um, we were involved in evangelism. We listened to Christian music. We, we went to conferences. But by all purposes, all, everything you could tell from the outside, we were all Christians. But over the years, I have learned that several of the brothers that I walked with in those original meetings are not believers anymore. They don't have a shred of Christianity in their lives. And that's the situation that the writer of Hebrews is addressing here. It's people who have received the knowledge of the truth. They were taught of the Lord. They looked like Christians, but it didn't change them inside. Like the people I started the Christian life with, they decided to go on sinning. And it began to show itself as they retreated from these means of God's grace, including meeting together. And that can happen. It's not that missing a church meeting here and there automatically means you're not saved, but it's a reminder that going in that direction should set off a warning in your soul. This isn't good for me. I need to be with the people of God. I can't become comfortable with a lifestyle that does not include the church. That's what the warning is. So our discipleship groups are going to start up again in a week. That means now is a good time to evaluate your own practice of meeting together. Is your current practice of meeting together feeding your soul? I mean, is it, is it something you anticipate and want to be a part of that you value and know, yes, this is God's will for me? Well, I would say now is a good time to ask yourself those questions. And if you feel like that's been waning... If your practice hasn't matched up with what the Lord has for us, then now's the time to make a change. And in our meeting today uh, that follows this meeting, we're going to talk about discipleship groups because there's going to be some rearrangement. Um, but we want you to be a part of it because this is so good for our souls. This is how we encourage one another to walk out the Christian life. We need this environment. So let me just close with this. Um, Meeting together with the church is where we receive encouragement for the Christian life. Our discipleship groups are the primary place where you can know people, have interaction, be face-to-face, -face, tell them your life story, hear stuff from people. That, that's why we have it. We call them discipleship groups because they're, they're about growth. They're not just about, it's not a book club. It's being conformed to the image of Jesus day by day, walking in his footsteps. Okay, so that's our goal so that's where we receive encouragement um, to grow. Granted, fireworks don't always go off in every meeting. Like, amazing, that, that meeting changed my whole life. I mean, our growth is more like an oak tree than it is one of those bamboo shoots that, you know, 20 feet in one year. I mean, an oak tree is very slow. So our meetings are going to feel like that. They're going to feel like, not sure what happened, but I trust that over time growth will happen from this. Right? I hear laughter because, yeah, we, we get it. We get it, right? More is going on than we know, though. God's growth can take decades, but it's real. 
let's press in and get that from our meetings together. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that we have a church that you've assembled us. I mean, that, that these particular people are the ones you want to grow us, to stimulate us to love and good deeds. Not some imaginary perfect person out there, but the people right around us, these are the ones you've given us. So thank you for that. Help us to see your goodness in it, to see behind the, just the horizontal and see the, the beauty of what you want to do as you cultivate us more in your image. And may it happen. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.